Welcome to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly in Southeast Spain. We are here for the purpose of worshipping God and reaching others with love. We pray that as you listen, you will be inspired and challenged in your walk with God. Well, good morning to everyone. and I'm excited that we're in April because of Easter. Anything else is secondary. We want to... Well, it, you know, our Easter meetings don't start till Palm Sunday, right? But um, uh, I want to sort of head in that direction today. I want to get you, your, as they say, your juices thinking, get those two neurons that are up there bouncing around as we prepare for Easter. And um, I figured, why not start at the end? Right? Let's, let's, let's talk about the end of the story and uh, that way prepare ourselves for um, the, uh, the, the Easter season and what it means. Um, we've been studying in our Thursday class the parables of Jesus. And uh, um, I, I tell you, those of you that don't come, um, you're, you're missing something. It's just been fantastic. Uh, probably I get more out of it than the students. They, I think I just get them lost sometimes. But I know I'm found. I know, <laughs> I know I'm really enjoying it. And uh, when I was in preparation uh, for some of the classes some time back, and I came across this particular section as we were going through, we're going to be going through Luke 12 and 13, I put aside this um, uh, parable because I said, ah, that's my Easter kind of start, you know, get focused on Easter parable. I, I want to talk about this. I think this is what God wants me to do to get April going. And so that's where we are today. We've entitled it, Waiting for the Master's Return. Waiting for the master's return. You see, it's all about Jesus having come to establish his kingdom. And he wasn't able to. He came unto his own and his own received him not, the scripture said. They rejected him as Messiah. And so he rejected them and said, all right, I'm going to now take the whole news to the Gentiles. And the kingdom is put on hold. It's going to be a spiritual kingdom. And he said to his disciples it, that, the, that the understanding of it, the mysteries of it was given to them to understand. And then he said, but I'll be back. I'll be back. We're going to finish what we started. And that's the end. That's, that's what we are waiting for. I hope you know that there's a good ending to all of this. I hope you know that this is not about us, um, you know, enjoying uh, this time on earth. I mean, look, um, I have to be very, very, very honest. I've enjoyed the little life that God has given me, 60 years. And some of you, y'all think I'm just a child, a kid, uh, just a young fella. You know, that's okay. And I really have enjoyed these 60 years. The first 20 weren't as good, you know. They were a little rough. They were. They were kind of rough. But then Jesus came into my life, and it has been a great ride. But this isn't the end, folks. This, I'm not living for this. The gospel didn't come to my life for this. There's more. 
And so we want to talk about that ending, okay? And um, <clears throat> I know we had communion. I know, you know, listen, if you have to, if it's absolutely necessary, send the restaurant a what's up and tell them you're going to be a little late. But you're going to love it. You're going to enjoy uh, listening to God's word today. Let's pray. Father, would you speak to us, Father? We need you to remind us why, Lord, why it is, Father, that we are on this particular path that you have placed us on to. So speak to us, Father, from your word to our hearts, through your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. So the Bible teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ will come to earth someday to bring human history to its end. To take righteousness, uh, to, be, to take the righteous to be with him, to take us to be with him, to establish his kingdom, and to punish the wicked. This is how the world as we know it, scripture says, ends. This is how history finishes. And the Bible is a clear, uh, it's, it's clear on the second coming of Christ as it is on his deity. His coming to glory. His coming in judgment as it is on all of the other uh, plain doctrines of scripture. That is to say the Bible is clear on his second coming as it was on his first coming. In fact, the return of Jesus Christ to this world in the future is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. The purpose of God before history began. His ultimate purpose will be fulfilled. And that ending is already written, already planned, already designed by God. When it comes to end times, there are a number of fads. And, and it's funny, um, whenever something happens, whenever something traumatic occurs in our life, we immediately start to think, is this it? Is this it? You know, are we, are we going? And it's because we're anxious, aren't we? We're eager, right? We want to go. But uh, we got to read uh, the scriptures. Today, there is a growing uh, um, sense of a particular doctrine in, in, in the area of uh, end times eschatology. It's called hyper-preterism uh, or full preterism. The word preterist is not a word that we use a lot. It is in... Uh, the old English dictionaries, it's been around, preterist. It means a person whose chief interest is in the past. It's in the past. So um, what it means is that in theology, um, a preterist is someone who believes that prophecies regarding revelation that we find in the book of Revelation or in Ezekiel and Daniel or wherever have already been fulfilled. Uh, so, preterism isn't actually new, um, but it is on the rise. It is on the rise. Uh, it's also called realized eschatology. 
And eschatology is the study of the end times. And why they call it realized eschatology is very simple. All eschatology has already been realized. It's all past. Uh, I like what one of the commentators said. It's as if we're not even living, you know, we're not living in Revelation or we're not living. No, we're, we're past that, you know. Like we're past the index. We're past the maps in the back of your Bible, you know. According to the preterists, we're somewhere in those blank pages because it's all past. It's all in uh, it's all been done already. So what does it mean, preterist? What does it mean? Well, what it means is Christ is not coming, folks. It means he already came. There will be no tribulation, no rapture, no trumpet judgment, no seal judgments, no bowl judgments, no Armageddon. There will be no earthly millennium, no resurrection of the dead. It's all past. It's all ready has been accomplished. All of this, uh, most of them point to a time in uh, the early uh, first century, 70 AD and the years that surround it, when the Roman general Titus came in and destroyed Jerusalem and uh, the following destruction of the land. And they say that that was the return of Jesus Christ. It's not just that. There's others that throughout our history have said Jesus has come this time, this time, this time. So if I'm not mistaken, one of the more well-known cults says that I believe, well, well let's see, well, they had him coming in 1917 or 18, and then others have had him coming, I think the latest was 1981. You know, it's, uh, he's already come. He's already sitting on the throne and, uh, and and we're already in the millennium, or some say, others say, well, it's past, we're done with that. Is this new? The answer is no, it's not. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said that there are some men named Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying, the resurrection has already taken place. Wow. These guys were preterists. They were the founders. <laughs> They were saying, eh, Jesus already came. There's other wrongful views of eschatology. There are so many, so many. Some people are happy to just set dates. How many goofy people have come along and done that? You know, Jesus is coming back on this day, on this day, on this day. Um, here's a... Fun fact, I, I was a little blown out of the water with this one. I said, I wonder if there's a web page in Wikipedia for that. I mean, and I thought, could there be? So I typed in, and uh, if you want to, just uh, simply uh, type in predictions and claims for the second coming and Whoa, I was like, oh, you got to be kidding. There's more than I thought, you know, names, dates, you know, their factions and stuff. Some of the guys that are on there aren't really saying that Jesus was coming back. But listen, there were more than I ever surely expected. Uh, I didn't even know the page would even exist. Um, then they get all their followers, you know, on the rooftop with their pajamas on, ready for the rapture that never comes. But that was the whole problem in Corinthians, you know? 
This is the same thing, you know, those that are saying he's coming, he's come up tomorrow, he's come that year. And then they, they come up with these dates as they look at scripture. There are those people who somehow just want to offer themselves as profoundly insightful and intelligent in reading current events. All you have to do is sign up to some of these um, emails from, a, uh, from Israel or, or end times. And I mean, if a president somewhere sneezes, they'll find a verse for it and tell you that's why we're closer to the end time. And I, it's amazing the things they're, they're able to do. They're, uh, single current events in every newspaper somehow fulfilled some prophecy. Now, this too tampers with this great truth. Don't be upset at them. They're just eager. They're eager to go and see their Savior. And I'm okay with that. That's all right. Just as long as they don't tell me to put my pajamas on and go to the rooftop. You might not be, um, you might not remember this uh, some of you might, I should say. Maybe some of you might. So as we were turning from the 18, uh, 19th century to the 20th century, um, uh, I think it was the comet Halley came very close to planet Earth. It's, I think it's the closest it's ever come. And it was right at the turn of the 20th century. And people were, you know, they were just... The world is ending. Theologians at that time were very much into amillennialism. Uh, we were going to bring in the kingdom. And, and these were the signs of the sky. And I mean, you weren't there. And we don't have a lot of data. But we have some in which the churches were saying, this is it, folks. Get your pajamas on. Then there was Y2K. Right? And they didn't know what to tell us about. I mean, even preachers got involved on that. I used to say to myself, what is wrong with our people, you know? We're all anxious, but please get those two neurons there, you know, working and you'll see. It doesn't make sense. But in any case, maybe you might remember a fellow by the name of Yasser Arafat. Y'all remember Mr. Arafat? He was the chairman of the PLO, president of the Palestine, uh, of Palestine. And um, you might not know this. I don't know if you remember this. Uh, if you were into the emails of end times, I'm sure you remember reading this. He was the Antichrist. He met all the criterias. I mean, that poor man couldn't do anything, and they would point to it as, see, he's the Antichrist. This is it. We're, we're there. We're going to start tomorrow. And Mr. Arafat came, and Mr. Arafat went. Now, don't mistake me with Second Peter that I'm saying, where is this coming Look, things have remained the same from the beginning. He, where is it coming? As if I'm mocking. I'm not mocking, folks. I know he's coming. I'm just saying, please don't buy into every crazy thing that's out there. Get those two neurons working and you'll see. Instead of reading their emails, read your Bible for crying out loud. You know, stop waiting for someone to come and tell you. Why don't you figure it out for yourself? It may take a little longer, but it's a little more factual than having some guy telling you to, you know, 
pull out your best pajamas and get them ready. Let me show you the key verse in this passage. This is where we're going. By the way, that was just the introduction, so relax. I told you to send a text to your restaurant. In chapter 13, verse 35 through 40, that's the passage that was uh, read to us. And uh, uh, verse 40 is the key, all right? Verse 40 is the key to this passage. You also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. You must be ready. Now this is very brief. This little verse is very brief. And you can break it down into two thoughts. Just two simple thoughts. Here we go. A very certain event at an uncertain time. Jesus wants to motivate us. I'm coming back, and you don't know when. That's the ultimate hide and seek. But we're going to find him. Don't you worry. He's going to find us. We're going to find him, and together, we're going to put an end to all of this shenanigans. Verse 40, it says, the Son of Man is coming. Ben Adam. It's a, actually, it's a title for the Messiah. The, the concept of Ben Adam is all over scripture. You will find this. The most accurate description of Messiah regarding Ben Adam or the Son of Man is Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. And Jesus actually quotes from it. It emphasizes the humanity of Jesus, yes, but it emphasizes his Messiahship. It was, it was Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. This is me. Jesus said in Mark 14, 61 as he quotes Daniel... You shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. This brings us to our first point. We only got four, so don't worry. Number one, a certain event at an uncertain time. That's what this little uh, parable is all about. It's Jesus saying, I'm coming, but you don't know when. I'm coming. Actually, it's said throughout all of the uh, books of the Bible, just about every book. Jesus spoke of it of himself time after time in all of the Gospels. I'm coming. I'm coming. And this is why the church has always lived with the idea that his coming is imminent. It's meant to be imminent so that we are ready. Titus chapter 2 verse 13. Titus 2.13. Paul says, waiting for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Waiting for the uh, glory of the appearing or the glorious appearing or the appearing of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The doctrine of imminence. I don't know when he's coming. Don't ask me. I don't know. My pajamas are still in my drawer. But I'm ready. And I'm going to show you what it's not about pajamas. Watch. Because he's going to talk about clothes in this passage. Um, but uh, I don't know when he's coming. But I tell you this. It's sooner than it's ever been. It is a certain event. And it is an uncertain timing. 
Uh, I've been a believer for 41 years. 41 years God forgave my sins, received me as his son. You know what? I'm 41 years closer than when I first believed. That's what the scripture says in Romans 13, 11. Salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Point number two. I want to share with you from this little passage, verse 35 through 39, I want to share with you four analogies of readiness. Jesus will give us four analogies of how to be ready. So here we go. I'll give them all four to you so you know where we're going. And it says, the first one is, have your loins girded up. Number two, get your lamps lit. Number three, be like servants, slaves, who don't know exactly when the master is coming back from a wedding feast. Number four, be like a householder who knows the thief is coming, just doesn't know when, so he's ready at all times. The images are of readiness. Be ready for his coming. Stop talking about it. Make sure you're ready. If you're ready, you can talk about it. But if you're not ready, it's not worth talking about it until you get yourself ready. Number two, uh, uh, so, so the first one, the first analogy that we have is in verse 35. Stay dressed for action. And some people seem to read into that, get your pajamas on. No, stay rest for action is something else. Actually, literally it means let your loins be girded. And um, I'm, uh, come to class. We'll explain all those things a lot more. But, you know, they wore robes and, and, uh, and the soldiers kind of wore these things. And they would gird themselves up. They would pick them up and shove them underneath these belts that they would have. And that way they could move faster if they had to. They could walk faster, move faster, fight if it was necessary. It's an idea of readiness, of get yourself ready to move. The Jews understood this. This is not something that they didn't. Romans understood what it meant to uh, gird your, your loins. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, this is the Passover is about to take place. There were nine plagues that had already taken place. Anyway, so, uh, and we're into the 10th plague, and, G and God says to the Hebrews, he says, get ready, because when the moment comes, you've got to get out. Because when, when, when Pharaoh says you can leave, you've got to get out because he's going to change his mind. And we need to get as far across. We need to be by the water because I have a special present for the soldiers at the water hole. And so what happens is that in, in um, Exodus chapter 12, verse 11, he says to them, you're going to eat the Passover, but you eat the Passover fast, and you eat the Passover with your loins girded and your sandals on, because we're moving out. See, it was all an idea of ready. By the way, the loins girded, ready to move out after nine plagues, and this is really after the 10th plague. Just get ready, because once that tenth one comes, we're out of here. He says, you've got to be ready to move out. So it was a very familiar Jewish metaphor to be ready. First century, any century back there where they wore these things to be ready. Second metaphor is the lamp. 
Some of your versions says, keep your lamp on. They didn't have electricity, folks. It says, keep them burning. Keep that oil going. Don't be short on oil. Keep that flame on. This is not the time to be meandering around in darkness, is what Jesus is saying. This is no time to be fumbling in the dark, stumbling in the dark. Be alert. Be aware. Be watchful. Have everything ready. Now you should be thinking, wait, there's another story about lamps and lights and oils, right? Matthew chapter 25, the 10 virgins. They were the bridesmaids to the bride. And they were supposed to be ready for when the bridegroom would come. But some of them let their lamps go out. And they weren't ready when he came. That's a metaphor for a lack of preparation. This is what Jesus says to them in that passage in Matthew 25. You don't know when the bridegroom is coming and you better be ready. You are going to be on the outside if you're not. And the outside, listen to this. And on the outside is weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And I don't want to know what that is. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. So I say, well, the best way to make sure is I just need to be ready, right? Because the believers are the ones that are to be ready. So be ready. You don't know when he's coming. Remember Romans 13, 11, I mentioned salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Number three, third metaphor is the servants. Verse 36 Verse 36, he says, be like men who are waiting for the master to come home. Be like them. Be like those slaves waiting for the master to come home after that wedding. A very familiar picture in the world of servants and slaves. They, the master left. You must stay ready. You must keep things burning back at the homestead. Things have to be waiting and ready for when the master returns. The master's gone to a wedding. So he tells his people, I don't know when I'll be back. Because that's how weddings were, you know. We're very organized as Westerners. As Asians, you know, their weddings, there's a whole different, you know, they lived under a whole different standard of priorities. To them, time wasn't a priority. People was a priority. The event was the priority, not when the event happened. And so you just had to be ready to get called and said, okay, the wedding is on, but you never knew when the wedding was over. It depends how long uh, the the the... The food and all the trimmings would last. That would most of the time determine how long a wedding would be. And so he says, be ready. So I'm just, I'm just going to put you in charge of everything, he says to the servants. And, uh, and what happens is they could uh, take it seriously. Oop, he, we don't know when he's coming. We got to stay alert. Or they could not take it seriously. And there would be consequences. Jesus then says, Blessed are those servants whom the master shall find on the alert when he comes. 
verse 36 is saying, you need to be like that, on the alert. I want to point something out. Notice that in this parable, there's nothing negative. It just says, blessed are those that are waiting. Doesn't say anything what happens to the ones that fell asleep. That you got to get in the next parable. But in this parable, as Jesus speaks to the followers, the disciples with a little D, the ones that were there that really wanted to hear. You got to come on Thursday to understand what we're talking about here. But uh, uh, as he's talking to them, he, he, he's just trying to motivate them to be ready because there are none in that group, he says, that are not going to be. But he's still motivating them to be. It's the next parable where he says, you're not ready, we're going to cut you to pieces. Hmm, how about that? Yeah, we'll get that some other time. You got to come Thursday to find out about that. Anyway, um, verse 37, blessed. Look at verse 37. This is a fantastic verse. Blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself. He's going to put on the best garments. He's going to put on the, no, that's not what it says. You know what it says there? He's going to gird himself up. He's going to pick up everything, put it underneath, because he's going to listen to what it says. For, for service, he's going to serve them for service and have them recline at the table. You get that? When the master comes and the ones that are there waiting for him, they are expecting him. They are doing his will. They are doing all that they're supposed to. He says, I'm going to have you sit at the table. And I'm going to serve you. I think, wow, is that a picture of the lamb's table? Is that what the lamb's, is that what the wedding feast is going to be like? Here, Jesus, the bridegroom, is going to serve the church? Is that what he's saying to us? I know about serving him. I get that. I mean, we talk about serving God, serving him, serving Jesus. We are his servants. We are his slaves. If you have a problem with the word slave, deal with it. That's what you're supposed to be. You're supposed to be a good slave, a bond servant of Jesus Christ, as Paul says. But on that day, he's going to gird himself up and serve us. Wow, this is just awesome. That's just incredible. Happy are they because they will be served. Verse 38 and when is he coming? Verse 38 says, whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them, so blessed are those servants. Whether he comes in the second watch, the third watch, somebody, some of these guys, didn't they start arguing? Well, he's talking about the Roman watch. And no, no, he's talking about the Jewish watch. And I say, what's the big deal? Doesn't matter. The point is this. Second watch, third watch, they would all be very late. In other words, he's saying, don't be asleep. Stay up, watch the late show. You know, all the guys that are selling all those products at 3 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning that you shouldn't be buying because they really aren't what they say they are. But he's saying, stay awake, stay up, don't go to sleep. Don't be found, you know, just lazing about, you know, snoozing away, saying, ah, he's not coming, he's not coming. He says, whether he comes in the second watch, the third watch, blessed are they because I will serve them. It is what Matthew 24, 
44 says, Therefore you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming. He is coming. How is he coming? How am I supposed to be ready? How am I supposed to be in readiness? My clothing must be prepared, not the pajamas. The lamps must be fully lit, ready to go. There must be no darkness. Servants, meaning that uh, they are to have done his will and doing exactly what the master left them to be doing, being prepared for the coming of Christ at the most unexpected hour of the night. And he gives us one more metaphor, one more to clear things up in our minds. Verse 39 if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left his house to be broken into. The metaphor, that of a thief. If a man knew when the thief was coming, he would make sure that no thief would do his dastardly work if he knew when he was coming. But isn't it true that a thief's Stock in trade is the surprise attack, right? That's how they get away with it, right? When you're not expecting it. Huh? No thief is very successful who comes at the time that he tells you. He doesn't send you a WhatsApp, an email, a, an SMS, I'm coming. You know, they, they, he's going to starve to death, the poor guy, you know? Yeah, you can't, it's the, the, he, he relies on the surprise attack. But Jesus says, you be ready. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 2. And there are a myriad of verses that deal with this concept. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 says, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Oh, I wish I had time to explain to you the day of the Lord. But here, let me just give you this idea. When you think of Jesus' second coming, do not think of it as a one-time event in history. It's not a one-time event. Actually, it's a season of events. It will, it will start off and it'll just be like dominoes falling. And it's all part of the day, not one 24-hour period, but the season of his coming. When God is going to shake up this world. And he's going to keep to the promises that he has made. And so 1 Thessalonians says that you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. You're to be ready. You're to have your lamps on. You're to have your loins girded, ready to run, ready to take off. You're to have rendered your service to the master, have done everything he has left you here to do. And you are ready to go. Second Peter chapter 3 verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief. Revelation 3 3. I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come. Revelation 16 15. Behold I am coming like a thief. Did you think he meant for us to be ready? I'm coming. I'm coming. And you don't know when. You know, you think it's, you know, the, you open the living room doors, you come home and your friends jump up from behind the couch and say, surprise, this is the ultimate surprise. When he 
steps out of heaven and into our world and all of what that is entailed. And God says, time is up. I'm here. Have you been ready? Well, before I close, I want to give you 10 reasons why Jesus must return. I'm going to give you 10 biblical reasons why he must return. All right? Number one, the promise of God, the Father, demands it. They're called prophecies. In the Old Testament, Psalm 2 says that God promised that his son would come and be king and rule with a rod of iron. Not yet. That's not happening yet. That's yet to be fulfilled. Isaiah said that this son would have the government upon his shoulders. Not yet. We're still looking for that. Micah says that he will uh, come and rule. Not yet. He came as a servant. He didn't rule. Zechariah 14 says he will reign and rule in glory, in the glory of his kingdom. Not yet. Still waiting. Approximately some 330 prophecies are in the Bible regarding the last, uh, regarding Christ and his coming. About a hundred of them were fulfilled at his first coming. We still got about 200 more to fulfill with his second coming. So the promise of God, the Father, demands it. Number two, the claims of Christ himself demands it. It is recorded in all of the Gospels. That he is coming. He has told us, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. Guess what that means? Mm -hmm, right. He's coming. Right? Uh, that's his way uh, of, of saying to us, be prepared, be in place. Uh, but he is coming back. Coming to receive us unto himself. He's coming to judge. This is his own promise. In his own words, I will come because I am going to prepare a place for you and I will come again. So, the claims of Christ himself demands it. Number three, the testimony of the Holy Spirit demands it. Listen folks, this is the integrity of the Trinity is at issue here. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired the prophets to speak, to write of his coming, to write of his kingdom. The Holy Spirit is the one who inspired Paul, Peter, John, James, Jude in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews. All these writers have told us that the return of Christ is to establish his glory. So the Trinity demands it. Number four, the future of the church demands it. I'm not talking about a denomination, a group. I'm not talking about the big denominations, the little denominations. I'm not even talking about ICA. I'm talking about the um, uh, church of Jesus Christ, the, the universal body, the believers of all. We demand that it uh, be true. Why? Because the church has been told that we're looking for the blessed hope, the glorious appearance of of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 1.10 says, We are waiting for his son from heaven. That's what the church is doing. Number five, the corruption of the world demands it, right? 
aren't you mad of all the bad things people have done to you? Right? And you had no courage to kill any of them. Now, I'm glad you didn't. You shouldn't. That's not what you're supposed to do. But God says, don't worry. I'll take care of it. No one's going to get away with anything. No one. See, the, the, the corruption of the world demands that the last chapter of the world's history will not be written by Adam and Eve and Satan in the garden. The last chapter of world history will not be the curse. The last chapter will be the coming of the Messiah who is righteous and, 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 and he's coming to this world who has the right to take the title of the deed of this world according to Revelations 5. The world is paradised, regained. The corruption of the world is not the last story. This world will be judged and it will be all, uh, altered and changed and it's going to take a, a different turn. It's going to become like original Eden. Christ will come as judge and establish his righteous kingdom. The last chapter of this world will not be written by Satan. It will be written by Christ when he returns and establishes his kingdom of righteousness. The covenants, the covenants that he has made with Israel demands it. Paul reminds us in Romans 11 that all of Israel will be saved. There is a coming time of Israel's salvation. Ezekiel said Israel will be uh, gathered back into the land. There's more Jews in Brooklyn, New York than there are in Israel. But they're coming. They're coming from all over. And there'll be a time when they'll all be gathered back into the land. Zechariah says that they will look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn for him as an only son. He has promised to them the kingdom. That kingdom is about them, folks. That earthly kingdom is about the Jews. Because they rejected it the first time, he's going to bring it yet a second time. Except that time, they're going to accept it. The covenant with Israel demands that Christ come and fulfill his promises. Number seven, the vindication of Christ himself demands it. Do you really think, are we to really think that the last view of Jesus Christ that we are ever going to have on earth is him hanging on a cross naked and shameful? No, no, this will not be his last view. He will be vindicated. Matthew 24 says, they're going to see the son of man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Revelations 1.7 says, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. No more the lamb on the cross. He will vindicate himself. Number eight, the judgment of Satan demands that Jesus come back. You see, the ruler of this world will be cast out. The ruler of this world will be destroyed. The ruler of this world will be finally vanquished, vanished, defeated. He will be destroyed and sent into the lake of fire to be punished forever and ever. The judgment of Satan demands this. Don't you want to see him pay? 
Don't you think he's done enough? He has robbed men of the possibility of being in the presence of God enough. Satan will not have the last word in human history. God will. And if it's not like that, then I quit. Because then it makes no sense, folks. It makes no sense. The hope of believers demands it. My hope demands that he comes. He has told me to have hope. We live in the hope of the glorious appearance of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are waiting for God's Son from heaven. This is our sure hope. We want Christ to come because he promised that when he comes, we're going to get a new body. And I won't have to always be on a diet. (laughs) And I won't have back pains, knee pains, and I won't be losing my hair. My hope demands it that I receive a glorified, sinless body. This is our hope, folks. Oh, we've been lied to. Number 10, and final, the groaning of creation demands it. Do you know that in Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, it says that the whole creation groans. The whole earth groans. It's sort of personifying creation as expressing the pain of the curse of sin upon it. The thorns and the thistles that were placed upon it. And just waiting, craving for the glorious revealing of the Son of God that it too can be liberated in the millennial blessing and that earth, the paradise, will be regained. God promised it. Jesus promised it. The Spirit promised it. The future of the church is on it. The future of the world is upon it. The future of Israel, the future view of Christ, the future of Satan, the future of believers, the future of creation, all demand that Jesus return. But keep your pajamas on. Inwardly. Keep your loins girded. Keep that light burning. Be good servants. Do the will of your master. Keep an eye open that no thief is ever going to tell when he's coming. So you be ready because he's going to come like a thief in the night. And when he comes, he will establish his kingdom. And I want to be the servant that's waiting. Not the one that's asleep. I want to finish with this thought. How do we get ready? Number four. How do we get ready? Two ways. Very quickly. First of all, you need to come to Christ. You see, he came as a servant the first time. He came to give life. He came to offer life. He came to forgive any repented sinner. He came to say to all of us, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly at heart. His second coming, not so nice. 
Great for the believers, not so nice for the ones outside. Because there, there will be weeping and, 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 and crying and gnashing of teeth. So the first thing you need to do, folks, is make sure that you have come to faith in Jesus Christ. That you have believed the testimony of God. That, that salvation is in his son. Make sure that you have been born from above. That you have been born spiritually. That you have been born again. Because you do not want to see his coming and not be one of his children. So the first thing is you need to come to Christ. The second thing you need to do, folks, as believers, we need to be ready in sanctification. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 14. 2 Peter 3.14 says, Beloved, since you are wanting for these things, since you are waiting, since you are expecting these end things, he says, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish at peace. Be in the process of sanctification, of, re, of taking yourself apart from this world. Not being part of the world, but being apart from the world. Make sure that you are making yourself closer to God further from the world. Sanctify your life, sanctify your thoughts, your words, sanctify yourself. Be in preparation for his coming. Because you want to be ready when he comes. Not just because you belong to him, but because you are living a godly life. You are living a holy life. I want to finish with a story. This story is from the Scottish theologian William Barclay. William Barclay writes this. Tells a fable of three apprentice devils who are coming to earth to finish their apprenticeship. Sort of like a C.S. Lewis story. And, um, and uh, they were talking to Satan and they said, uh, we're ready to go down to ruin men. And so Satan said, uh, all right, well, what's your plan? The first little devil said, uh, I'm going to go tell them there's no God. And that will not... Uh, Dilute many, Satan said. They know there's a God. He wrote, he wrote his laws upon their hearts. Second little devil uh, said, um, well, I'm going to go tell them there's no hell. Satan said, uh, you'll deceive a few that way. But they know there's a punishment. They sense that there's something coming. Third little one said, uh, third little devil said, uh, I'll tell them there's no hurry. Mm. I'll tell them there's no hurry. Go, Satan said. You have found success. There is a hurry. There is an urgency. There is to be in us the expectation of the imminent return. There is no time to fall asleep. Are you about your father's business? Or are you just about your business? Wall Street business. And keep my house up business. And stay up with the Joneses business. 
or are you about your father's business? He's coming and you do not know when. So I ask you, are you ready? Are you ready? Get ready. He might come tonight in the second hour, in the second watch or the third watch. So be ready. Let's stand as we close in prayer. Father, I can think of no better way to get my heart ready for Easter, ready to talk about your earthly ministry, ready to talk about your passion, ready to talk about the cross, ready to talk about that Sunday that is coming, than to think about the fact, Lord, that you wrote the end already and that you have said that you will come, that you will be back and that you ask me to be ready. Father, please keep us on the alert. And Father, if there's anyone among us that doesn't see that as an important thing, then Lord, would you speak to them? Help them to understand that they must forgive. They must ask forgiveness. They must make peace with you, have their sins forgiven. They must be born anew. Then you will place upon their heart the hope, the sure hope of your return. Father, thank you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for listening to the ministry of the International Christian Assembly, the ministry of AMG Spain and AMG International. For more information, please visit our website at www.icatorrevieja.org. This audio file is not copyrighted.